Hey y'all, Cine here. Just a quick content warning before we start the episode. Uh, this week there's some discussion of suicide ideation slash suicide mention. And also in the second episode this week, uh, there is some mention of spiders. It's very brief. There's not much there, but yeah. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so right off the bat, I need you to give me your hot take. Why is Tonight, Tonight, Tonight the worst Bleach opening? Because you told me this off mic, and I need to know, and I'm putting you on the spot right away. I mean, the answer is just, it's just not as good as any of the other openings. It's not a bad song. It's fine. It's kind of good. It's just not nearly as a banger as any of the other ones. (laughs) Okay, but have you considered the concept cover is sung by Kenpachi? (laughs) I mean, that doesn't make the song any better. Uh, I think it makes the song a little better. <laughs> no. It, it makes the concept cover really cool and fun. Doesn't make the song any actually better. Uh, I guess you're right. I, f- full disclosure for listeners, I am sleep deprived and coming down from weed. So I guess content warning on that. Also, content warning for this episode, uh... Basically, in the first episode we're covering this week, there is definitely, like, a scene uh, that I would say is more akin to a suicide mention. Like, nothing actually happens. It's just, like, talked about as if a character wanted to do that. So, yeah, like, there's suicide ideation going on, yes, uh, essentially. Definitely that. You are listening to It'll Wash Out, a Bleach rewatch podcast. I'm your co-host, Senna. And I'm your co-host, Sam. Shall we get right into it, Sam? Let's just get right into it. So, we're starting here with Bleach episode 74, Memories of an Eternally Living Clan. We open on the dark streets of Karakura, where an injured Uryu walks. Ichigo and the gang, in a separate part of town, call out to him with no luck, and Ichigo claims that Uryu is just acting tough, and he hopes that he isn't thinking of himself as a burden. Uh, There's like... A bit of a trash joke here, and Orihime's like, it's not trash day or whatever. It didn't really land for me. It wasn't much of a joke. But uh, she's angry, too. She wants to help treat Uri's wounds and, like, 
prove that their friendship actually means taking care of each other. Yeah, like Odihime, like Odihime is mad, and Rukia and Chad are like, wait, like you're actually, I think this is the first time I've ever seen you mad about something. And she's like, yeah, I'm gonna find him and I'm gonna heal him. Piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Like, I I really did like her expression. Uh, Uryu does collapse into a puddle, and we see a shot of, like, Yoshino approaching, and she once again takes him in. We get a cut to our apartment, where Uryu questions why she saved him. It's because you have lonely eyes. Is that a good enough answer? She asks. She hands him a hot drink and reminds the audience of the stakes, stating that Uryu chose to run because he's putting his friends in danger by being a target of the bounce. Which, Uryu just kind of responds by being like, that's awfully a sentimental thought. Like, you're not the sentimental type, are you? And then she walks to the window, very sentimentally. <laughs> she really does. She's like, no, that time is long past, gazing forlorn- forlongly at the stars. <laughs> it, it literally is. She's like, no, I'm not sentimental ent- anymore. And then she literally just the entire episode is like gazing out the window, just like, absolutely sentimentally she claims she used to have sweet sentimental dreams but those dreams changed with the passage of time the clock bells ring loudly as she lives under a clock and uriya comments on feeling the vibrations in his bones yoshino states that she's so used to the noise she doesn't really feel it anymore nor the passage of time uriya asks if that's how she views the people and then she's like oh i don't really feel loneliness either because everybody's so restless, and I just feel very disconnected from human nature. Which, I mean, makes sense for, for her being, like, about and living eternally. Yeah, she's like, I live forever, so I don't- I cannot- I just literally cannot connect with people. But I don't feel lonely. Like, people are people, and those are other people. They're just outside. I do have a hard time believing she doesn't feel lonely, considering how much she just stares outside the window and looks at people. Listen, Yoshino's got depression, and she is in denial of it. Absolutely. Uryu asks about Yoshino's affiliation with the Bounce, and if she even lives with them. I I figured that second part would be kind of obvious, based on the fact that she has, like, this, like, undecorated apartment to herself, but... Yoshino tells him that it was like that once, a long time ago, and then we cut to Karia, who's off on some speech about how soon the bounce will be released from the darkness, yada yada yada, and Yoshino further explains that time may be the cause of foolish ambition in the bounce. I like this little phrase here. Yeah, like, I do, the, like, it, it goes back and forth between them where they're essentially, like, ta- like, Karia's, like, reminiscing on their history with the rest of the bounce who were there and yoshino was like explaining it to uryu but you know they're talking about the same thing and what i love about the scene with the bounce though is that you look at them and you're like okay every single one of these is clearly like designed to be a chump change bad guy (laughs) like you could put mayuri right next to any of them and you'd be like yep fits right in with the rest of the group (laughs) Yeah, a lot of their designs are, like, they're fine. They're just, like, very... They're very generic, I guess I would say. None of them really stand out to me. Um, (laughs) Uryu comments on the oddity of Yoshino living under a clock if she hates time so much, wondering aloud if she's expecting something. Yoshino basically tells him that, if anything, she'd like to die properly, 
It's strange, she says. Once you can live eternally, you begin to think of yourself as a god. And then we cut immediately to Karia and the Gang of Bounce, as Koga, uh, who's like the bigger bounce we saw earlier, uh, asks him to reveal why he gathered them. Karia informs him and the rest that a Quincy has been found, and that he wants their help to gain greater power for their shining era. When she was like, yeah, eternal life ma- really like makes you think you're a god, and that's like that's bad. Like that that's a thing that you should recognize and not want. And here I am just like thinking back to Soul Society, and I'm like, hmm. Yeah. yeah. Living eternally makes you think you're a god, and like this really is a bad thing that people should take like proper notice of, huh? Huh? <laughs> it's it's like because this is filler, like It's kind of funny that they draw this parallel, but can't do anything about it or really say anything about it right now. Like, I'm sure they will, maybe, probably, probably not. In Soul Society, Yachiru and Kenpachi look over the 11th Division. As Yachiru comments on the sudden appearance of Maki Ichinose's spiritual pressure, which Ikaku confirms to be in the human world. Aramaki is here too, you know, from the last season stating that they've n- never found him no matter how hard they looked, until suddenly his spiritual pressure appeared again. He overheard this from Hitsugaya and Ukitake. There's a whole bit from like the confusion of Yachiru's nickname for Aramaki being Makimaki and her referring to Ichinose as Maki, which Aramaki gets annoyed with. Kenpachi asks what Maki Ichinose could be up to, and Yachiru states that she has no idea. He then orders the squad to leave him be, and we flash back to Maki challenging Kenpachi after he had just become captain. He's stopped by the other squad members who declare Kenpachi the rightful new captain, and Kenpachi declares that he won't go after any that leave his squad under his new command. What I love about this whole bit is that, like, the Shinigami that's, like, you know, this is the whole, like, one of the ways to become a captain is to challenge a captain to a duel and win in front of 200 other Shinigami. And when Zaraki did that, you know, he killed the previous captain. Yeah. But the thing that ha- the thing that gets me is Maki like jumps out and he's like, I'm not gonna fucking accept you. I loved our old captain. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you. And then he like draws his sword and all the other ones are like, No, you can't draw his sword. He like won the challenge. It's like, yeah, but why can't he ch- challenge Zaraki now? Yeah, it's this like some secret rule we don't know about. Like, it- it's really funny. I I think this is just, like, a little loophole in the rules that were like, hey, we gotta add this in here, because this is a filler character, and, like, if we want him to live, he can't challenge Zoraki, because, like, Zoraki's gonna kill him. But, like, we can't have him, like, not fight Zoraki. It's important. Well, maybe it's, like, you when you do the duel, you have to, like, schedule the duel, like, a week in advance or, or something, you know? Do you think Kenpachi Zoraki scheduled a duel a week in advance? <laughs> I don't think he did. I think Yachiru might have. Okay, <laughs> like she fair. dropped, she dropped by and was like, "Kenchan's gonna be here in a week to kick your ass." And then they were like, "Oh fuck, fine. I guess we're gonna do the paperwork." And Zer- <laughs> fucking Kenpachi was just like two hundred miles away or something, so he just had to walk, and that's why it took him a week. It wasn't that he was waiting. Exactly. God. There's also like the like the shape of Zoraki's eyes is completely different in the flashback versus the present time. Uh and like his skin is a lot paler in the flashback. His hair is also down, which I thought looked very nice. Yeah, so it's just like it his face 
is like you recognize that the same design, but you can clearly tell that like his face looks completely different with like just little yeah. subtle things, which is a nice touch. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, he ac- he actually did like change as a per like physically change as a person in the last whatever hundred years or whatever. Yeah, uh, this also does confirm that Ichinose, who is one of the bounce, is in fact a, a previous Soul Reaper. Like, don't know if he still has those powers. Probably does, but he's about now. Well, I don't know if he's about. He's at least working with them. Yeah, he's like he's part of the group, but we don't know if he's like about. And I, I think he's not because I think all the bounce are like. It's like the Quincy. It's like a family thing. Mm-hmm. I think he just happens to be a Shinigami working with them. That makes sense. I guess we'll find out as the arc goes on. Probably. Yeah. Ichinose decides to leave as he can no longer find a reason to remain, claiming that his captain will always be the former captain. I uh, love that they constantly dance around who the last captain is here <laughs> because you don't get to see whoever they are. They, they don't name them. It, it's just like, ah, yes, the former captain, my favorite captain. You remember that one that Tosin really liked. <laughs> Yachiru's glad that Ichinose is alive, but Kenpachi seems to think he might be f- being forced to live, which I think is an interesting concept that is not touched upon at all. Yeah, that's just like a thing he mentions. Uh, I, f- I feel across both of these episodes, Zoraki like, occasionally just like spits out a thought, and then Yachiru's like, <laughs> What makes you think that? And it's like, I don't know, a feeling? That's the writers? Just, that's just how Kenpachi is. He's, like, foreshadowing without reason. In the present, Utagawa approaches Ichinose, asking what he thinks Karya's motives are. Ichinose is like, fuck if I know, I'm just here to listen and obey. And then there's, like, a conversation about that that doesn't really go anywhere. And then they move on. To Ichigo, finding a random stranger who he thinks is here to you. It's that classic, oh, I see a person who has his hairstyle. I'm going to go grab him. And, oh, it's not him. I'm embarrassed. That bit. It's that bit. One thing I do like about, like, the Ryu and Maki uh, conversation is that there's, like, this implication here that Ryu's, like, he's kind of saying, I'm not not going to betray Karia, but I'm, I haven't decided if I'll betray him yet. Like, he's just, oh, because essentially he asked Maki, like, hey, so what do you think about the about the boss's plan? And he's like, no, what do you think? Uh, and, but instead of being like, oh, no, don't, nah, I'm not thinking about anything. He's like, oh, no, I'm just, I'm not sure if I'm done thinking yet. <laughs> so it's like, he's like openly saying, you know, might betray him, might not, still on the fence, we'll see. Like... The the thing is, Karya absolutely knows this dude is going to betray him at some point. There's no way I, he doesn't. I think literally everybody in like in the group knows, uh, and like Ryu, that's why Rio is like just openly saying it's like you know I might decide. We're all solitary dudes. Like I might decide to betray him at some point. So he's just like openly being like, "What do you think? Are, do you look like you'd betray him? Yes? No? Okay, that's cool. Let's just keep going." In Utagawa's, like, contract while he's joining the bounce, he's just like, oh, wait, this needs to be appended. I need this little thing here, this little PS here that just says, I might betray you at some point. Oh, you can add that? Cool. Signature, and done. I'm in the bounce. <laughs> That's exactly how that went, right? 100%. After the whole, like, Ryu bit, uh, where, you know, Ichigo, like, finds a stranger, 
uh, he like screams, and then we cut to the apartment again, and Uri's like, "Wow, Yoshino, I I don't mean to be rude, but your apartment doesn't have like anything in it. You you have like no possessions." And then Yoshino depressedly is like, "It's a burden to own things when you live forever." Yeah, he's like, he's just like, he pulls out the damn, you live like this. And she's like, I don't <laughs> like stuff. Like, you know that feeling of like when you buy a table and you get really attached to the table because it's with you for like a decade, but then after a while the table breaks and you feel really sad because like that was your that was your really good table. Then you have to replace the table. I have to do that with literally everything. I don't like stuff. <laughs> I have two sets of the same outfit, and I make sure one of them is washed at all times, so I can just stare out the window all day, and that's all I do forever. This window is my friend. <laughs> this window is Yoshino's best friend. She talks about how short-sighted humans are, as they only really have a few decades in which they can actually achieve something. She begins to talk about her younger days here. Uh, we get, like, a flashback... Um, and she states how she felt like she was different from other people and tried to hide it, as everyone around her was aging except her. It seemed like only she was left young. She was forever left behind. Eventually, the townspeople turned on her, and she only really thought of ways she could die, even deciding to end it herself. But, just in the nick of time, Karya shows up and is like, hey, live with me. Bounce have reasons to live. Y you'll figure it out. And then she's like, okay. And they do live together for a time. But eventually, she comes to realize that his promises of eternal and limitless love were not like... They, they kind of ring false, because eternity only has meaning to those who have a limited lifespan. She claims there may not have ever been any love between them to begin with. It was simply a play for more power. His ambition eventually leaking through. Yeah, this whole like when Karia shows up, he's like, yeah, you know, like he's his he's got really long hair that looks really goofy on him, and he's he's coming in like a like a like Lothario, and he's just like yo, yo, don't worry, we got this. <laughs> There's Man. like this whole scene where Yoshino is like serving him coffee while he's outside reading a book or maybe tea i don't know it's a hot drink and it's just like the most forced romance thing i've ever seen yeah well like i do like like you know she's that like she's having a really dark time in her in her life she thinks that there's no reason to live specifically because everybody she knows dies right and yeah like, everybody she knows after that also dies and then here this guy shows up and he's like hey like i'm like you and also live <laughs> so you know she, like he literally gives her a reason to live so i can see her being like enamored with that oh absolutely but then yeah she's like oh now he's doing like it <laughs> turns out he's a murderer mm, not like super interested in that <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a deal breaker, buddy. Just a little bit. She claims that his gathering of bounce is likely to attempt traveling to Hueco Mundo, where Karya believes he will gain limitless power, that akin to a real god. Uri is like, that's against the rules. And then Yoshino's like, rules don't exist for gods. And then Uri is like, do you still love him? 
And she does not answer. She literally tells him to stop. And she tells him that she can't forgive Karya. In order for her to retain her, her humanity, she can't forgive him for what he did. Because she witnessed him consuming the soul of a living man. She couldn't forgive him after that, and she couldn't forgive herself for not being able to stop him. She comments on the irony of finding her, her humanity through his betrayal, and Uryu asks what she plans on doing now. I do like this bit. Yeah, like, she, like you know, she's got, like, a clear... Re like, it's obvious that she still cares for him, or at least has feelings for him, but she's also like, mm, this relationship was bad, and I don't want to be in it, and I don't want to let myself be back in it. <laughs> yeah. Plus, like, the whole murder thing is kind of a deal-breaker. You were right there. <laughs> she tells Uriya that she's going to defeat Karya. That's her plan. That's her whole plan. Uryu wants to help, and then Yoshida's like, no, I don't want to rely on others. You're injured, you need to rest. And then Uryu's like, do you really have any hope of winning? And she goes, of course! Like, immediately. And then we have a flashback to, like, ten minutes earlier in the episode, where she's like, actually, if anything, I'd like to die properly. <laughs> and then Uryu's like, wait, hold on a second. My bullshit detector is going off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he literally, like, tells her she's lying, and he, she's like, why do you think that? I am not lying, I have no reason to lie, and it's, like, I don't know if she doesn't think she's lying, or if she's just, like, trying to play dumb here. Either way, she, like, puts her hands on Uryu's shoulders and begs him to try not to be captured, because she doesn't know why. But Uryu is a key person to Karya. He needs Uryu. And then our favorite Quincy comments that he doesn't even have powers anymore. Yoshino responds by telling him he can't really be sure, can he? And after all, she feels that there's still something left in him. And then she begins to leave. When Uryu explains that he actually realized earlier that he could have run away had he wanted to. But he didn't, and now he knows it's because of the hope in her eyes. Somewhere behind all that despair and loneliness, she still has hope, and because of this, he wants to help her. Ryu decides he has to go with her, and then we get a shot outside of the apartments as Koga looks at the apartment complex with a grin, ending the episode. Ryu is crushing bad. <laughs> Ryu is crushing bad on this vampire that looks like his mom. Yeah. Which, you know, fair enough. Like, fair. I, I'm sure <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's totally fine. But also, she's telling you to, like, stay put, buddy. Yeah, like, her reasoning's good, and then Uri's just like, fuck that, you have, like, hope in your eyes. I'm coming with you and possibly ruining everything. He's like, listen, I ran away from my friends so I wouldn't put them in danger, and I wouldn't be a burden on them. Because I don't have powers. Now, I know you're asking me to stay here out of harm's <laughs> way, but <laughs> I can totally help. <laughs> Instead of putting my friends in danger, I'm going to put you in danger. <laughs> and it's like, you're already going into danger re regardless of whether or not I come. There, there we go. There's no downside. <laughs> no downside. Problem solved. Here we are. I mostly liked this episode. Like, aside from the, like, kind of character inconsistency there with Uryu, and, like, just, like, overall, like, 
some of the stuff being like a bit repetitive like it was a solid like backstory episode and i'm glad we actually know more about yoshino now uh her story does make sense yeah it's just some nice it well it's like it's a little heavy but it's like okay well here's the here's the tragic backstory like in their like failed love affair um it's interesting to see like because we haven't really seen her interact with Kauria except like once when he was being just 140% Dracul towards her. Uh, so I like I would like to see more interaction with Kauria, like not just being a creepy vampire and being like a character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which we do get a bit from him like towards other characters. But, you know, that's why I'm hoping there's more of him like actually talking to Yoshino like a person. I'm like... Hoping there's more to his backstory, or, like, his motivations, rather, than just, like, oh, I want to become a god, and just being, like, literally the most vampire. That was the worst fucking vampire voice I could do, but, you know, here we are. Here we fucking are. Well, there is a little bit more. It's, ah, we were persecuted. (laughs) Oh, we're just doing this now. Now I shall become a god. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking hate this. Oh, I haven't slept enough for this shit. And then, of course, we have the post-credit scene where Rangiku br- brings Hitsugaya to a spa because she's like, "It'll be the perfect place to finish our paperwork." <laughs> and he's like, "Why, what? Rangiku? Like, we have work." <laughs> <laughs> but when they go in, the receptionist is like, "Oh, that's adorable. You have your child with you." Well, <laughs> you know, children have to stay with their guardians. So Rangiku is like, sure, we'll just do like the fam, like the family communal bath thing, where like we like the boy, the little boy comes into the women's bath with the mothers, you know, so they don't get separated. And Hitsugaya is just like absolutely having none of it. He's like, what the, f- Rangiku, I will, I will hurt you. <laughs> stop, stop it, stop. <laughs> Rangiku is great. This is their relationship is so fucking good. This just, it was a good bit. It was a good bit. Shall we continue on to the five-minute break? Let us continue to the five-minute break. Let's get back into it with episode 75, Earth-Shattering Event at 11th Squad, the Shinigami Who Rises Again. Which... I don't think comes up in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like at this point, they're just kind of naming these as they go, and they're just like, "Mm, well, what do we call this one, folks? I don't know, this? Okay. Well, well, like, the previous one, you know, memories of an eternally living clan, and we get, like, their history, we get, like, some flashbacks, it's like, okay, makes sense, you know, it's, uh, it makes, uh, total sense. But this one... Earth-shattering event at 11th Squad, the Shinigami who rises again. And we're like, I'm not even sure if Maki is in this episode. <laughs> uh, let's go through my summary and we'll see if we can find him. <laughs> Our episode begins with Yoshino and Uryu sitting in her apartment, staring at each other intently. She jokes around, saying, you know, it's fine if you can't... If, it's fine if you go to sleep. Like, I, you don't have to watch me. I'm not going to leave. But she only gets, like, halfway through when the lights go out and her door explodes. And the beefiest bount boy with a flaming mohawk, Koga, has arrived to take you to take them away. The Yoshino says, uh, excuse you. <laughs> and so she summons her doll, Goeth. But Koga is not impressed by the fiery apparition. 
He summons his own doll, Dalk, causing a single metal bearing to multiply and grow until the creepiest of the Bount dolls to date takes form in the shape of a ball-jointed marionette whose limbs taper out into sharp points. She twists her head around the entire way, playfully asking Koga if her if he needs her help, before stating she loves to fight and starts attacking. And, like, her arm basically just explodes into a bunch of, like, these fist-sized metal orbs that start crashing through the furniture and the wall. Yoshino doesn't have a lot of stuff, and the stuff she does have is getting wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like, her whole apartment's in disarray at this point. I think Dalk is actually probably my favorite doll thus far. She's the only one we've seen thus far with, like, really any personality beyond just, Oh, I'm here to serve you, master. And, I don't know, she's... More fun design than the other ones. I like her. Yeah, she does. She definitely has like her own personality compared to all. Like she's got. She seems to have like personhood, which yeah. is a thing that the other dolls don't really have. Yoshino grabs Uryu and she she just jumps through her sky roof to get up on to get up on top of the building, but Dalk follows them, landing on all fours like a spider. Goth's attacks seem too slow to be effective on her, and Ishida has the bright idea, and he just grabs an iron bar. And tries to attack her, but the doll is just like, excuse me? (laughs) And she just kicks him, like, 50 feet away. It's literally like, Uri is like, wait, shit, I forgot. I'm useless right now. Fuck. I was like, right, I don't, I do not have powers. (laughs) Thankfully, while... While Dalk is a, a little distracted, this allows Yoshino's doll to just, like, blaster with fire but really all it does is like superheat her and make her even more dangerous <laughs> so her next attack just like immediately dispels the doll and like s- hits Yoshino a bunch of times so she's like falling down and it pierces it pierces the water tower that they're down and then like the like uh, Uryu tries to run away and it's like Koga just calmly walks in through the door that he was about to use and Dalk's just taking a shower in the, like, broken water tower. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> you should be capturing them. And she's like, yeah, just give me some time. I'm having fun. Also, I don't want to be, like, literally molten at the moment. I really love that they actually, like, play with the fact that she's made of metal. Uh, and, like, I was really happy when it was just like, oh, hey, your doll that's made of fire... It's not going to do shit. It's just going to make it worse. Like, I was happy about that. It was really cool. Yeah, like, it does hurt her. It just doesn't stop her. Yeah. There's a quick little back and forth where Koga's like, uh, you know, grab the Quincy, don't hurt him. And then she, like, threatens Yoshino, which forces Uryu to, like, dive over her body. And Yoshino's like, why did you save me? You're supposed to run away, you stupid idiot. And it's like, I didn't save you. I just decided I wasn't running away. And I'm no longer going to be a burden. Or made a key person. And, Shido, my boy, I have some bad news. <laughs> but, you know, he gets immediately captured, so I assume he's aware already. <laughs> I think it's really fucking funny that, like... Obviously, we discussed this for the last episode, but Uryu just, like, really and completely, totally forgets his own motivations from the beginning of the last episode. It's so funny. One day he'll have a character. One day. <laughs> Over with the Shigo's group, they they know, like, 
hey, there were two dolls around, and now they're gone. And they arrive at the location of the fight, sensing Ishida's, like, weak spirit pressure. They come to the conclusion that he was being fought over, and Ichigo's like, hey, remember that thing with the spirit ribbons from, like, season one? Can anybody do that and, like, find him? But because Uryu's spirit pressure is so weak, and also he's suppressing it, they don't have a lead on that side. Thankfully, the Mod Souls are on the case. It'll be difficult, since their powers are so much weaker in these tiny doll bodies, and they can't get into their Gigai alone, and Ichigo is just like, okay, well, if you can't, if you can't yourself, if you can't put yourself into your Gigai, why don't you just put each other into your Gigai? <laughs> and we immediately land on the strongest joke of the season, as after a heavy silence, we're treated to a montage of the three dolls running into Ichigo's <laughs> house. And then Lilin's Gigai and the two remaining dolls run out and into Chad's house. And then Lilin and Nova's Gigai <laughs> run out with Claude's doll into Orihime's house. Until all three of them are in their battle bodies. And they're like... <laughs> we totally knew this. <laughs> we were just pretending not to know. <laughs> Shut up. If any, of you, if any one of you mentions this, I'll kill you. I... It is Scooby-Doo-esque. It, it absolutely lands. It is, you're right, it is the best joke of this season, and one of the better jokes in the series. I was losing it at this part. Yeah, like, I absolutely lost my shit when he was like, because like, at the, like, earlier in the season when they're like, now I'm stuck in this body, da-da-da, I was like, I'm sure I remember them using their, like, other bodies, like, later. And then this is just like, oh, it's just because they they literally forgot that they can just ask someone, hey, could you take the pill inside this doll and put it into that body? <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. I I was a fan of this bit. Over in Soul Society, the 10th and 11th squad, the leadership of the 10th and 11th squads joined the rest of the captains, vice captains, minus Yamamoto, who's off doing God knows what, uh, to explain the current situation. Someone's been breaking into the 12 Division's databanks and sneaking peeks at the Bount data. Oh no. There's a trap there as well that will destroy the data if, some if someone tries to access it. And all of this is clearly a stain and insult on Mayuri's honor, which is well-deserved. Honestly, oh yeah, and he de <laughs> and he demands answers. He does have a good point here because Ukitake is like, "Listen, calm down, stop trying to fight the people. We're all captains and vice captains here." And he's like, "Yeah, remember, yeah. If only we weren't like literally just betrayed by several captains and vice captains, <laughs> you know." <laughs> it's it's pretty good. Like the the trust he places in the rest of them, unfathomable. But it's pretty good that he does. Yeah, and then, like, we, we skip ahead a, just a little bit, and then Zoraki's like, you know, the fact that we find out, like, that that Maki's, like, is still around, and immediately, like, it, at the literally the same day that all this is happening, it's kind of fishy. Like, something weird's happening. I don't trust this. <laughs> Back on Earth, the crew gets off the bus, and Orihime asks for directions from a local woman, who tells them, oh, yeah. There's a huge mansion belonging to some rich guy no one's ever met. <laughs> they decide this... It smells plausibly enough like a Dracula story, and they should probably investigate. I'm really glad that there was just this old woman that nobody's seen before, and she's just like, Oh yeah, you're looking for the plot? It's over there! 
<laughs> go. You found it. It was very, very out of nowhere. Yeah, they're even like, oh yeah, like she says, there's one, there's one mansion that like fits the description, and I'm like, what description? <laughs> no one's ever talked about a mansion. Why are you here? Well, it's like the answer to why they're there is they were following the bounce energy trails, but like none of that has anything to do with like the size of the house they're going to. I I just have to imagine this group of like teenagers was just walking around to any people and was like, "Hey, you." Have you seen any vampire ass shit around? Has there been any newcomers who aren't going to church? <laughs> any any people who maybe aren't in the daylight, if you know what I'm saying? God. Over at the Bounce Mansion, Yoshino gets tossed in a dank underground cell, with Ryo telling her that if she even tries to use her doll, she'll be attacked, and that Karya's basically just done ignoring her transgressions. And then, up above, we get Karia go going to meet Ishida, and that while he's walking, Ryo asks, like, hey, should we, like, move on to the next step already, like, of our plans? We should just, like, fucking do the thing. And Karia's like, chill, chill. I'm enjoying life for the first time in a while. And then he gets quickly angered when the issue is pressed. Uh, there is, like, a little bit here where as Karia, like, stands up to walk with Ryo, he, like, like, Ryo is intently looking at the ornate cigarette case that Karya grabs when he stands up. So it's like, okay, that's probably his doll conduit that he's, that he's got. Probably. It's like, you know, it's this, it's this big metal casing. It's got the, like, up, upside-down heart symbol that all the Bound have. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Meanwhile, outside, the gang hides in the bushes, with Rukia being like, I sense eight of them. At least. <laughs> at least. In the main hall, the, bount, uh, the rest of the bount wait with Ishida, and I have to comment on the chair situation? Because <laughs> there's, like, one old man bount who has, like, a whack-ass throne of stone he's sitting in, and this is in the middle of the main hall. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Ishida, who's, like, kind of super awkwardly sitting on Dalk's lap, because she's, like, she's still, like, holding on to him from behind and, like, keeping him bound up. And then it looks like they brought, like, this just cheap lazy boy out into the middle of the main <laughs> hall. So Karia can, like, stride down the stairs and sit in front of Uryu and be, like, all super chummy. And he's like, listen, buddy, I would really like to borrow your Quincy powers. You know, both of us are humans whose tribes have been persecuted. And we can live together in harmony. We would protect you. Maybe even find a way to give you your powers back. Eh? Eh? I love the way that, like, Karya is here, just like, we have you captured, but I'm gonna try and convince you to help us. Also, I'm pretty sure he had some of his comrades just bring his chair out into the middle of this hallway, because I could have sworn it was not there before we cut to the shot. Yeah, like, there's no way this chair was there in previous shots of this hall. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, I I appreciate that Karya's, like, characterization here. It's, it's the same way that he was acting with uh, Yoshino, where he's like, No, don't, like, I'm not trying to use you, I just want your help. Also, I've got, like, this fantastic room, super comfortable, you're gonna stay there. And she just like, ah, you're imprisoning me. And she's like, no, 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 no. You're a valued guest, and I wouldn't want you to get hurt. 
don't worry, there's a lazy boy in there too. And it's like, okay, he's just creepy like this with everyone. But also he does have like the, a great point where he's like, hey buddy, I'm immortal. We have an unlimited time to wait. <laughs> yeah. And there's also during this conversation, one of the bounty who's like out of eyesight from Ishida, he know he like notices something and Kaduya just gives him like a quick head motion to tell him to go do something. Um and that's when he immediately is like, let's put let's bring you to your new room and let you see your uh, your living situation for now. Valued guest. <laughs> and Koga's like, hey, um I know you like I know you're not a fan of us, but just so you know, Kaduya's like nice big quotation marks but also he's like super scary so don't fuck it up like watch yourself <laughs> <laughs> I, I I fail to see in any way how somebody who looks that much like a vampire could be a nice person I- incredible exchange no he's not nice he's quote nice end quote <laughs> there's, a di- there's a difference He he's a nice guy like, he's not a nice guy, but he's a nice guy, you know? Oh, I, I'm picking up what you're putting, Dad. So he's he's a good dude. Th- this bit's not going anywhere. Alas. <laughs> Outside the mansion, Orihime and Chad have gotten just completely lost in the mansion's massive garden. And they're being followed by, like, weird floating eyes. Inside the mansion, Rukia and Ichigo, who I guess managed to infiltrate the mansion, are also lost. And Rukia's like, I think something like magical is fucking with our sense of direction. Like something's up here. Uh, they spot one of the like weird floating eyes and destroy and destroy it. After it like, it yells at them. <laughs> it gr- it grows a mouth and it yells at them. <laughs> that is exactly what it does. It doesn't even really attack them. It like fly, it fly, it does fly around very fast, like menacingly, um, and then they're like, "Well, that that takes care of that." And now there's fifty of them in the room, so they start running away. They end up breaking a window on the second floor to like jump out onto the roof. They meet the they meet the mod souls, or they reunite with the mod souls, and the mod souls are like, "Yeah, we've also been running from several swarms of them, and Nova's been like teleport them in, teleporting them into his void to get rid of them, but there keep being more." And thanks to all of this off-screen action, Nova's already exhausted. <laughs> An even bigger swarm finds the whole finds the group and starts attacking them, forcing them to run back inside the mansion. But this time, they run into the main hall, where they're surrounded by all of the bountain attendants. With Kadia slowly walking down the main stairs, no, no sight seen of the lazy boy. And he welcomes the group of Shinigami substitutes to his abode. I think my favorite part of all of this is the fact that not only like has Uryu's characterization for the last episode been completely forgotten in what's going on now, but Ichigo and Gang and the Mod Souls, their whole point of their like tr- miniature training arc they did has been completely forgotten here and just like thrown out the window for we got to run in that mansion <laughs> like they it is the most uncoordinated infiltration mission i have ever seen 
Yeah, they at some point off screen they decided to split up into three groups, infiltrated from different angles. All all of them got lost. Although in fairness, that's like someone's ability or whatever. Um, and now they're all being chased by like floating eyeballs, and suddenly everyone's in the middle with the uh, with the group of Bount. And then it's time for Hanabi, the Bleach ending that I still think about every week's, even in years when I like haven't thought of Bleach in ages. Like, it's just absolutely fantastic ending. Probably my favorite overall. Uh, and it has, like... It, it has this sequence where it's, it's just flashing a montage of, like, a bunch of prominent lesbian ships. And then, like, two dudes who are... Uh, they're just, like, drinking or posing completely alone. And then it finishes with all of the ladies hanging out in, like, summer clothes on the grass. <laughs> it's, like, absolute king shit. What, what an energy to end the episode with. It's a really fucking good ending. I I'm a big fan of it. I still really love my pace, but this one's a good change. The one thing that I'll give my pace is that it takes all of the captains and shows them off in like contemporary fashion and that they all look great. Yeah. I really like that bit. The post credits for this episode is Tetsuzaimon is at the market just looking for a toilet and his captain's like, "Oh, yeah, there's one right there in that alley." And he rushes into the alleyway just to find, like, a puppy pissing on a pole. Oopsie poopsie. God, it... Th this was... This was a bit... Uh, so I guess we should probably go ahead and close up shop here. This has been It'll Wash Out, a Bleach Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Bleachcast. You can email us at iwobleachcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at Lavender underscore Paws. And you can find me on Twitter at SSBSLJ. Thanks for listening. Have a good week, y'all. Stay cool chats. The first rule of truly living. Do the thing you are most afraid of. Every week you catch me so off guard. It, it is like a new fresh hell that you open upon me. Every week. Thank you. <laughs>
hey, wait a minute. Where the fuck is Renji? 